Good morning. Once again, it's a real joy for Kathleen and me to be with you and to share something of the Word of God with you. My topic today is choosing a lifestyle of freedom. You know, this expression, lifestyle, is one of those terms that's in vogue today. And it describes how people live, their appearance, their unique and different features, how they express themselves. And this term lifestyle also has implications of values and of morals, etc. Several years ago, I saw my first bag lady. You ever seen a bag lady? She was getting ready to settle down for the night in a doorway in Berkeley. She didn't pay any attention to me because she was busy positioning herself and the baggage she had with her. I was quite surprised to see that part of her baggage included a small portable TV set. I wanted to ask her, but I didn't, the reasons why she was living this kind of lifestyle and were there no other options that were open for her. Then, too, I remembered that there was a TV program entitled The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And I suppose that this was a program that dramatized how the rich and famous live, and somehow or other it would appeal to us to look at their lifestyle and see, oh, wow, I wish I could only live like they live. Anyway, I suppose this uh, program showed what they did, their likes and dislikes, etc., etc. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the term alternative lifestyle. This is a concerted effort to make this lifestyle accepted, mainstream, a part of American culture. And the translation of alternative lifestyle, of course, is homosexuality. Paul Noel Stuckey of Peter, Paul and Mary spoke of our present obsession with our needs, our own needs and desires. And he reminded us that three decades ago, there was a magazine called Life. Now, life is big. It takes in everything and everyone. You could file almost anything unimaginable under the topic life. Then somewhat later on, there was another publication called People. Now, People is pretty broad. After all, there are all kinds of people. But people is not as broad as life. There is much of life that must be excluded if we only deal with people. So still later on, we have another publication called Us. U.S. No longer are we dealing with life or even people. We're only dealing with us. You know, just us. And before long, Paul says that he expects still another publication to be called Me. Life, people, us, me. 
The universe revolves around me, you know. This is the undeniable trend of our time. To concern ourselves with our own needs and our own desires and to shut the rest of the world out. Now, that's some kind of lifestyle. Of course, you know, you could go on and on and on describing a lot of subgroups in America that would call their way of living, their lifestyle, all part of the me generation. And this morning, I I wanted to think with you on the subject, choosing a lifestyle of freedom. You know, immediately you might say, well, haven't these groups that you mentioned chosen a lifestyle of freedom? They're doing their own thing. They're doing what they want to do. They have freely chosen. It's their business. If they have chosen to join the drug culture, they do so freely, don't they? If a person wants to join the lifestyle of a yuppie, he chooses to do so freely if he can afford it. If a person wants to join the lifestyle of the jet setters and has the money, he may choose to do so freely. Well, what I'd like to do this morning is to present a biblical approach to this question of choosing a lifestyle of freedom. And I would like for us to notice just two of these significant passages in the Bible that deals with this issue. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and then to John's Gospel chapter 8. First, First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. Reading from verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but only for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise up, raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. And then, lastly, in John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, And you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed.
And may God bless his word to us. May we pray for just a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for these words that the Apostle Paul penned so many years ago and those that uh, the Apostle John wrote so many years ago. Father, we do pray that you would take these words on the printed page that we have read and, Father, would you make them living in our very being. Father, may your Spirit illuminate these words to our understanding. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Some of the great values in these passages are statements of principle that revolve around the issue of freedom. And there are three areas of discussion that I want to present this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the myth of absolute freedom. The myth of absolute freedom. Secondly, I want to define freedom from a biblical perspective. And thirdly, what does it really mean to be free? The myth of absolute freedom. Steve Monsma, in his book, The Unraveling of America, speaks of six major sources that limit a person's freedom. And among the things that he mentioned were things like these. The customs of society, they limit our freedom. The groups to which we belong, they seem to limit our freedom. Government, with all of its laws, seems to limit our freedom. And he goes on to say that absolute freedom for man is, in fact, an impossibility. To live in society, man's freedom must be limited. Someone's freedom to drive his sports car at 90 miles an hour through a residential area is a denial of another's freedom to a safe and peaceful neighborhood. So we deny him the right to drive 90 miles an hour because it would impinge on my freedom of safety. In fact, one could say that absolute freedom would be the freedom for no one. If everyone could do whatever he wanted to do, whatever he pleased, everyone would be free to act in ways which would limit someone else's freedom. Chaos with no freedom would be the result. Now, I'd like to go over a few verses that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It must be time to get up. <laughs> in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 12. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. All things are lawful, lawful for me. Another translation reads, all things are permissible for me. Now, a lot of folks stop reading here. And say, see, 
I told you I could do anything I wanted. <laughs> Hooray for freedom. Freedom is what we most need. Freedom from our Victorian hang-ups. Freedom from the hypocrisy that wants to take away all the fun in life. Freedom that we must protect ourselves from people like the new Supreme Court nominee. But now notice the rest of verse 12. Yes, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable or permissible. And then it repeats it. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Not be mastered by anything. When God said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, was He the original killjoy? Was He restricting our freedom? And the answer is, everything is not profitable, folks. Everything is not permissible, folks. In, every, in other words, everything does not contribute to my highest good. And further, this means that when God says, Thou shalt not, He is caring so much for us that He doesn't want to see us injured. And when He says, Don't do that, the reason you ought not do that is because you're going to get hurt if you do. Absolute freedom is restricted to what is good. To what is good. Another answer to the issue of freedom is the issue of slavery. And, uh, you know, notice verse 12 again. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And uh, here we ask some questions and, uh, which are relevant in our culture today. The person who chooses freely to take drugs and is now an addict, is he free? Is he free? Would he be better off if he had been restricted? The person who chooses freely the life of sexual freedom and who now has a venereal disease or worse, is that person free? Wouldn't that person be better off if he, she had been restricted? I kind of think so. The person who chooses a lifestyle of crime and is now in prison, is he free? The sex abuser, the man who presumably has paid his dues and now is trying to live in the community and the community doesn't want him. Is he free? The person who cheats and lies and has a guilty conscience, is he, she free? The person who seeks to earn his or her salvation apart from the grace of God are they free or are they in bondage trying to pay a price which they can never pay? Never pay enough. Absolute freedom is only a myth. 
But unfortunately, a large number of people have become enslaved. And that's why we seek to present the gospel. You know, there's good news. You can be set free. You can be set free. Secondly, I'd like to ask the question, what is freedom? In verse 13, Paul says something very, very interesting. Food is for the stomach. And stomach is for food. What Paul does here is he defines freedom in terms of purpose. In terms of what something is designed or made for. Food is for the stomach. Gasoline isn't for the stomach. Food is for the stomach. We take that which we are designed to take. The stomach is designed for food, not for something else. You know, it seems so elementary, so so simple. You know, Paul tells it so, so clearly their food is for the stomach. You know, we live in a world where everything has a design and a function. You don't set a fish free from a body of water by placing that fish on dry land. You know, you want to allow it to experience dry land, don't you? Poor fish. Confined in water all the time. Well, fish were designed by their maker for water. And they are freest when they are doing what they were designed for. Perhaps we don't know how fish feel. You know, maybe they feel a little bit enslaved. You know, maybe, maybe. We do know that if we change the environment for which they were created, they die rather quickly. And I want you to get, get this. People are most free when they are in harmony with the purpose for which they were created. Amen. And I want to repeat that. People are most free when they are in harmony with the purpose for which they were created. And Paul says here that the purpose for the body was not sexual immorality, but was for the Lord. We were made in the image of God and we were made to glorify God. You know, you want a purpose for your life? Glorify God. That's your purpose. And then a little bit further down in this chapter... Uh, we, we notice again that uh, concerning our body. Uh, you know, when I act contrary to the purpose for which I was made, I suffer and I am the loser. When I do something for which I was not made. It is to this kind of people with this kind of lifestyle that Paul announces his great principles relating to freedom. Let me give them to you again. Freedom 
has the highest good for the individual. That's its goal. Freedom does not enslave. Rather, it sets free. It releases. And freedom does have purpose. And the last thing I want to mention this morning is, what does it mean to be free? And again, if you still have your Bibles open to John's Gospel, uh, look at that. Because there's a very, very uh, profound discussion that Jesus enters into in that chapter. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Well, what does it mean to be free? What is the way of freedom? What does all this mean? And I want to highlight several verses from this passage. But before I do, I want to give you just a little bit of background uh, to this passage here in John chapter 8, verses 31 and following. In the previous chapter, John chapter 7, a number of people had listened to Jesus as he spoke on one of the great Jewish feast days. And the feast day on which he spoke was called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews today call it the Feast of Succoth. And the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember their journey through the wilderness. They had crossed the Red Sea, they had escaped from Pharaoh, and they were there in the wilderness and they were wandering around and they get thirsty. Uh, They're living in tents. Uh, things are not going so well for them. And uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember this. They still do this today. Many Jews, they build a little uh, uh, booths or tents in their backyard and they live in those uh, tents for a little while to remember how it was for the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. And so they were remembering this here in John chapter 7. And the text says that on the last day of that feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out something tremendously significant to people who had been in the wilderness. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Here these thirsty Israelites could have a river put inside of them. You got lots of water now. Lots of thirst quenching liquid provided by the life giver. The one who incidentally said on the cross, I thirst. These statements of Jesus there in John chapter 7 provoked two different and distinct reactions. Some rejected what Jesus said and others believed him. And then you notice perhaps in verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. He's speaking to them. To those who believed, Jesus now turns to the issue of truth in verses 31 and 32. An idea that is basic and underlines the issue of freedom. Truth in this passage 
And I think we need to understand the meaning of truth here in this passage. Uh, truth in this passage carries with it the meaning primarily in the Hebrew sense. It means walking in a righteous walk. That's what truth means in the Hebrew sense. To the intellectual Greek and his sense of truth, it means knowing the meaning of something. Knowing the meaning of uh, the word heuristic. That's a good word, isn't it? If we only knew what it meant. Don't ask me afterwards what it means. Uh, I had a professor who would sometimes hobnob with a number of people, intellectual people, and they were talking about these uh, great big uh, ideas and, in which he was lost. And so he would come and say, you know, that's very interesting what you're talking about, but is it heuristic? <laughs> and they didn't know the word, meaning of the word. And they looked at him and said, boy, this guy's pretty sharp. Uh, yeah, but is it heuristic? So that was the meaning to the Greek. You know, the meaning of something. What Jesus is saying is that truth is found, truth is found when men and women obey and follow God. That's when truth is found. To hold to the teaching or to abide and continue means to be obedient to what Christ has said. It means to be obedient to the gospel. It means to let the gospel be the guiding force in our lives. Jesus said on one occasion, I want you to listen to this. And I want to give it to you in the various translations, uh, the first two words. Truly, truly. Verily, verily. Amen and amen. And in my translation, I tell you the truth. And what is the truth that Jesus gives us? Listen. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death into life. That's John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 24. When I am obedient to this truth, I will know experientially I've been set free. I am set free from coming judgment. I am set free from eternal death. Being set free means acquiring, receiving eternal life. And that kind of life is life with a capital L. Jesus teaches us that to follow him, to follow his way as a disciple means freedom for the disciple. And freedom is inseparable from the truth. There cannot be freedom without righteousness. You know, the woman caught in adultery uh, experienced freedom from possible death because of the fact that Christ's righteousness his truth had made possible her freedom. And verse 33 teaches us something very important. It talks about Abraham. I'm going to give this a little more modern dress here. Verse 33 teaches us that tribal advantage or heritage does not guarantee freedom. 
It doesn't depend on your mother's faith. It doesn't even depend upon the church that you attend. It depends solely on the work of Jesus Christ and His gift to all of us by His grace. And verse 34 teaches that when we sin, whoever we are, we become under Satan's grasp. A person is free when they no longer sin. And that doesn't mean uh, perfection. It doesn't mean perfection at all. It means that sin no longer dominates my life. And that a person's ambition, your ambition is to please God. And the last thing I want to mention this morning is verse 36. Wonderful verse. And I want to read it once more. So if the Son, that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, Jesus is the great liberator. He's the great freedom giver. He is the great emancipator. You thought Abraham Lincoln was, didn't you? Jesus is the great emancipator. And the expression there, free indeed, probably refers to the fact that freedom given by Christ is the only true freedom. People are deceived by some feel-good ideas that are prevalent in our society today. But they do not deliver from slavery that sin has brought about. Some prescription drugs may help us feel better, but they often are not the cure for the problems that I have. So it's kind of maybe a feel-good kind of solution. But when Christ sets us free, we are free indeed. Really free. No qualifications about it. Really free. I found it most interesting that President Bush on more than one occasion has said that peace comes when people are free. However, I would add that here in our country, people who are presumably free make some terrible choices in life, make some free, freely given terrible choices that in fact enslave them. One is not free. Not when he can do whatever he pleases, but when he is in harmony with the purpose for which he was created. And I want to close with a verse or two from the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. You can turn to it if you wish. Chapter, chapter 30, verse 15. Moses says to the people granted. See, I have set before you life and prosperity on the one hand and death and adversity on the other. So, 
choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Clear choice. I set before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. So choose life. The book of Ecclesiastes speaks about the fact that there is insanity in the hearts of men. And there is an insanity if you don't choose right. It is so clear to me, it seems, that we ought to choose life rather than choosing life, uh, death and adversity. Now, how do we do that? Verse 20. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for this is your life. Well, we've waxed a little philosophical today with this issue of freedom. And I trust that uh, the Lord will speak to us about these issues. Our newspapers are full every single day with this very issue. And I trust that if there's someone here who hasn't yet chosen life, Today's a great day to do it. Today's a perfect day to do it. To choose life and prosperity. And by prosperity, I don't mean money. I mean something that is really enriching my life. Enriching my life because of a relationship I, I acquire with Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by prosperity. Something that enriches my life. So choose life. Choose life this morning. If someone here would... uh, Let's just pray. If someone here would like to say, yes, I want to choose life today because today is the day. uh, Would you just raise your hand? Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that you are the freedom giver. And Lord, when we think of the freedom giver, we think of the price, the cost of being delivered. And we give you thanks for the price paid that we might be redeemed, that we might be ransomed, that we might be brought into your presence. Bless this congregation of your people and bless us throughout today and throughout the week until we meet again, if it's your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.